and welcome to Drug Fix, the Pink Sheet's pharma regulatory podcast. I'm Derek Ingery, a senior writer at the Pink Sheet, and I'm joined by fellow senior writer Sarah Carlin-Smith and executive editor Nielsen Hobbs. Today is August 18th, 2023. Things may slow as we approach the end of the dog days of summer, but we're still seeing a steady stream of FDA-related news. Today, we're going to discuss three of our favorites. First up is Medicare price negotiation. Our colleague, Kathy Kelly, who wasn't able to join us today, wrote an interesting piece on the drugs expected to appear on the list of products that will be subject to negotiation, which is scheduled to be released by September 1st. Matt, I guess many of these are not really a surprise. That's uh, that's right, Derek. Uh, just to back up a second, there's uh, this uh, complicated process by which uh, CMS selects uh, uh, you know, 10 drugs this year and then sort of more drugs in the uh, the years to come. And then, uh, you know, quote unquote, negotiates with companies as to what the uh, the price is. And sort of once that uh, initial list comes out, the um, there will be sort of kind of a uh, a uh, flurry of activity between uh, CMS and the uh, um, and the company, and the price will not actually be uh, um, in effect until 2026. But this uh, this initial list for the uh, the you know the first year of uh, the new IRA uh, process is supposed to come out uh, by September 1st. We're hearing that it may even be a little earlier, and uh, we uh, um, or Kathy really uh, put together a list thinking about for kind of who would be on that uh, uh, top 10. Uh, you know, we can sort of uh, guess at some of them, but uh, um, one of the uh, the more interesting things is this sort of kind of it's based on a number of criteria that are in uh, many ways moving and unpredictable parts. Uh, you know, it's sort of based on uh, three years of uh, um, uh, uh, Medicare uh, sales and uh, uh, sorry, it's based on the, you know one year of Medicare uh, sales, but the uh, data for that is not yet uh, um, released. So. Uh, um, it's uh, um, complicated to sort of say what's uh, what's what, and uh, um, in fact, uh, um, you know, Abvi, uh, um it was widely uh, um, expected that uh, one of their drugs would uh, um, would be on there. But on the uh, um, earnings call, they were sort of kind of hopeful that a uh, a sales slump would mean that uh, um, Improvica, in fact, did not uh, um, uh, make it on the list uh, um, this time. So uh, um, you know, we'll have to uh, have to see how that shakes out. But it's a uh, one of those weird situations in which a uh, company may be rooting for a, uh, a sales uh, um, a sales slump uh, um, to get out of it. And uh, um, another one of the criteria is uh, you know is there uh, um, generic competition? And uh, you know obviously if a, uh, a drug has gone generic, it won't be on this list. But uh, you know when that happens and whether uh, the generic competition is in uh, CMS's view uh, uh, bona fide uh, competition or another, is kind of one of the uh, factors. So we. Uh, um, Lay out uh, 13 uh, uh, possible candidates for uh, um, uh, the list, and uh, that's based uh, mainly on this uh, um, study that was done by uh, uh, Sean Dixon, who uh, um, you know uh, was with uh, West Health Policy and is now at AHIP, and uh, um, Emmanuel Hernandez at the University of uh, California, San Diego, and uh, um, you know they uh, when Kathy spoke to the. the the Hernandez, uh, you know, she said that, uh, you know, these uh, obviously it was uh, when they did it, it was for kind of a snapshot in uh, in time. And, uh, you know, there's no guarantee that sort of kind of uh, sales will remain the same or that uh, 
generics will enter when uh, when they projected. So, uh, um, you know, this is deemed a pretty reliable list, and uh, uh, many of the uh, the lawsuits uh, challenging the uh, the law, even through kind of cite this list as a, a reason that the uh, the company would have standing. So, uh, um, you know, we uh, um, you know we should use that as our, our backbone, and we're kind of based on our own. Uh, um, uh, um, reporting and projections were kind of came up with sort of some uh, um, some list because uh, you know already sort of kind of uh, feels like a Simbacore, which was on their list sort of kind of now has uh, um, uh, generic competition which was a earlier than they expected and uh, you know so there'll be at least uh, one uh, um, one change there and uh, that's uh, that's what we did and uh, you know the list is uh, um, available for uh, for readers along with sort of some uh, some graphical breakdowns of which uh, disease categories they all fall into and uh, um, how long they been on the market and uh, obviously when the official list comes out we'll uh, um you know update that with uh, um the just the uh, uh just those first 10 and uh, um you know have a lot more discussion about uh, um what it means for those uh, um drugs and uh, how they got there but uh, that's our uh, you know our preview of uh, what uh, CMS is going to do uh, uh next month or perhaps even before so I, as reading this when i was reading the story i i got interested in kind of the I don't know what you call it, the, you know, like the kind of the, those at the bottom of the list, because it seemed like the 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 data could be cutting it close in terms of, you know, like who's number nine, who's number 10, who's number 11, you know, is it going, you know, is it kind of like a, uh, you know, a stock price going up and down? Like, oh, is it going to, you know, who's going to get in there? Who's going to get over the line and who isn't going to get over the line kind of thing? I mean, does... Does CMS make, I mean, like if, if they're close, I mean, I, you know, I'm not suggesting they're going to be like within a dollar, you know, but like, <laughs> you know, if, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I'm guessing it's a legitimate question. If, if there's a tie or if they're like within a dollar or a hundred dollars or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever number you want that makes it really close, do they say, well, this one got another dollar in, in sales. So they're 10 and and the other one's 11 i mean i i don't know do they if they're tied do they flip a coin i i you know i don't i i, I, don't, <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I, I guess uh, i'm curious how you how you know. deal with those problems because especially people are cheering for sales slumps to get down <laughs> below the line so it's a uh an interesting conundrum uh derek the uh uh, the the agency hasn't sort of kind of released uh, um, what it might do in the event of a tie. Does uh, you know does the uh, <laughs> the older drug win in that case or what uh, um, what happens? But uh, I uh, I imagine uh, you know there uh, there that that sort of exact scenario is is unlikely. But sort of kind of who knows what kind of uh, rounding errors might uh, might produce something like that. So it is a uh, um, you know a uh, a process that. Uh, the industry is going to have to get used to unless these uh, um, lawsuits are successful. And uh, it'll be very, very interesting to see how the first one uh, shakes out. I guess, too, I could see legal action, maybe. If you, like, say you're number 10 and you're close to 11 and you, like, say, you you know, you could argue in court or something, maybe that, you know, this is a these numbers are wrong or they're flawed or you didn't take this into account. Or if you got another zero, I'm below the other one or, you know, something like that, you know, as well. That, that, I think that would probably be pretty hard for companies, right? Because part of why we can't quite predict this now is because Medicare sort of has the data. And I, I, I get, I'm not sure how much more industry would want to push to be made public as part of this process too. Like at what point, I mean, 
they'd want to, you know, push on certain like things that have always been kind of commercially confidential, right? To sort of um, even to win a lawsuit on something as that they detest as much as drug price negotiations. So I f- feel like that that would be interesting, but it could be a balancing thing. I do think like if you're going to get lawsuits, maybe over whether a drug qualifies, I think Matt flagged like the the idea of like what is bona fide generic marketing and things like that seem like is more likely to where you know you you might get into arguments about what that really means and how much competition sort of needs to be out there for a product and at what point for you know for you got for you to get off the list that seems like to me i guess probably one of the more likely places where you could see future you know arguments yeah it seems like yeah that's it like you said that's a hard um a hard thing to balance like you know do you want all of your confidential sales information out there in a court docket for everybody to look at or do you want to negotiate the price of your of your drug with medicare <laughs> it's it's kind of a la- you know potentially you know a difficult decision probably for a lot of companies but uh but yeah it's a an interesting problem and a, you know once again interesting things going forward that we're going to be watching as uh you know as as we get this list and we see these things for the first time Next, we're going to stay with Matt. He covered the most recent court decisions on the Medicare or the medication abortion drug mifepristone. You had an interesting take on this, Matt. Uh, do you think it's increasingly likely that mifepristone access goes back to the 2016 restrictions? I do. I was uh, um, struck by uh, um, how the Fifth Circuit, uh, um, you know, uh, carefully picked which uh, um, FDA decisions they found. Uh, um, were uh, were proper and which were not, um, uh, you know the uh, the cases uh, uh, at the moment sort of completely stayed because uh, um, the Supreme Court uh, when this was were going through its uh, um, first round of legal fight said that uh, you know uh, uh, all orders will uh, um, will have to wait until a final order and that means that uh, the Supreme Court gets away and uh, everyone expects them to uh, to pick it up but if they uh, opt not to, then uh, it seems like uh, this decision will stand. And of course, uh, you know, there are a few more uh, uh, steps that uh, um, either the um, the defendants, uh, in this case, uh, through FDA, uh, um, can take to, uh, they could, you know, seek a, uh, a hearing by the whole uh, um, appeals court uh, um, to review this one. But uh, uh, basically, uh, um, the um, my, my thought was that uh, um, looking at through kind of how uh, um, uh, abortion access has uh, um, uh, changed based on judicial uh, rulings over the past uh, many years. Uh, um, uh, courts have traditionally sort of kind of uh, pledged uh, um, uh, uh, adherence to uh, Roe versus Wade, even as sort of kind of uh, you know Casey became the uh, um, uh, the the governing uh, um, decision in uh, um, in this in the in the Supreme Court, and uh, you know they would. Uh, um, Say that uh, their uh, interpretation of uh, um, allowing a, a particularly uh, restrictive uh, state laws were kind of met uh, um, the uh, the row uh, criteria, um, and uh, um, uh, I was uh, thinking this were kind of this uh, Fifth Circuit court decision also sort of kind of in a way sort of kind of uh, keeps uh, um, uh, Ms. Pristone sort of uh, um, approved, but uh, by removing a lot of the easier access procedures, it uh, sort of kind of makes it uh, much more 
difficult to get, and uh, it really sort of does uh, dial back access in a way that uh, I think uh, um, uh, people have uh, um, uh, not uh, not been used to in a, in a while. I mean, you think of it, 2016, maybe not that long ago, but uh, um, there been a uh, you know there were a set, a set of changes then, and there's sort of another set of changes during the uh, the pandemic and through kind of post uh, Dobbs. That was the decision that uh, in which the Supreme Court threw out the uh, the right to abortion and sort of kind of ushered in a number of uh, new state restrictions. That's sort of that. Uh, the uh, abortion pill has become the uh, uh, most widely used uh, um, form of abortion, and I think if these uh, restrictions uh, go uh, um, go back into place, that it, uh, um, it will cease to be that, and uh, um, there would be a real change for abortion access uh, based on uh, uh, basically sort of kind of you know this uh, appeals court's uh, um, administrative uh, decision just sort of kind of how uh, how it thought FDA uh, um, did assess, assessing safety data that led to those uh, um, REMS changes. You know, one thing I wonder about, and I think we've we've discussed this just amongst ourselves here previously, is that you know if if the you know the the decision stands and they go back to the 2016 you know restrictions, would I mean would the FDA move to loosen them again and and just say nope we're going we're going to make it. The way it was, the way it was before the decision. I mean, assuming, you know, obviously going through the proper channels, you know, to kind of get a, you know, to overcome the like um, uh, administrative procedure act issues and and things like that that had that had tripped them up in you know in the in this process. I mean, you know, I mean, I guess you would need an application to do that, but you know, I mean. Is there anything stopping the FDA from just going, you know, trying to move them back to where they are right now? Well, well, you're absolutely right, Derek. They would need an application, and based on what the uh, uh, the court said, they would need an application with a lot more data than they have uh, uh, right now. They basically said that sort of uh, FDA did not properly evaluate the safety risks of these changes sort of kind of in total, that's where they had data on through kind of each of the changes, the, you know, kind of the uh, um, change in adverse event reporting and through kind of the uh, change in gestational age that uh, you could use uh, mifepristone uh, up to, but they did not kind of uh, uh, look at them in uh, in total. So, uh, um, you know, it doesn't uh, uh, say that they need a sort of kind of a, a huge trial that sort of kind of did that, and they don't sort of kind of lay out the, uh, the criteria for what that might uh what that might be, but uh, uh, the um, you know the sponsor and uh, the um, the agency are going to have to uh, compile and assess a lot more uh, data than they ha- they have now to uh, to get these uh, um, uh, you know looser uh, um, uh, risk management systems uh, back into place under this uh, under this ruling. And and I mean this is really largely a generic sort of marketplace at this point, right? I mean do do would the brand company still have much interest, I guess, in doing this work at this point, you know, given the competition? Yeah, good, uh, good question, sir. I honestly don't know the uh, the breakdown of the market in terms of kind of what the uh, um, the sales are on Mythoprex versus the uh, um, the generic. But uh, you know, as we've seen in sort of kind of any uh, um, uh, you know any product that goes generic, the uh, incentive for the uh, um, the brand company to uh, um, to do more studies for kind of uh, evaporates. It doesn't mean that there couldn't be a uh, a study conducted by a uh, um, you know an outside group that's sort of kind of that uh, um, you know funds it themselves. It doesn't have to be the sponsor that funds it. So you know they they could uh, um, uh, you know rely on uh, um, 
you know, as long as it's uh, rigorously conducted to the uh, court's satisfaction, uh, that uh, study. I mean, there's an open question: Could anything satisfy the court under those uh, under those yeah, circumstances? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. You know, like, kind of, so, uh, you, um, you write them. Yeah, you write the, those. You write the, the, the what we want thing vague enough, and then any kind can argue, "Oh, that's not enough." And you just keep doing that, going, to, you know, so. Right. The uh, um, yeah, I mean, the, the way they've uh, um, they structured it, uh, you know, they sort of kind of avoid uh, um, the blowback of sort of kind of completely sort of kind of pulling the pill from the uh, um, from the market, but they do sort of kind of uh, uh, um, essentially restrict it to sort of kind of to uh, um, states where it's sort of kind of already sort of kind of easy to uh, get access to abortion services. So uh, that's a uh, um, a real challenge for any. Uh, um, Anyone who's trying to kind of unwind uh, these restrictions uh, going uh, going forward. I also wanted to get into the broader picture, and I'm going to keep harping on this, and you know, as long as this goes on. But I mean, we're about to have a federal court roll back an FDA decision that FDA experts made based on presumably scientific evidence and data. This people should, and this is I don't I still don't think this is getting a whole enough attention in this case it's it, you know because it's involving you know abortion and and the political issues that go around that um i mean i've heard predictions from experts that fda expertise is going to start get you know going going forward in the courts is that you know is no longer going to be just held inviolate and you know there's going to be question scientific questions and and they're not just going to take verbatim what the fda says anymore but do do you all think that this could open the door for other approvals to get this kind of you know court challenge again? I mean, whether you know, uh, aside from the cultural issues that you know surround you know mifepristone, I mean, if, you know, could you could you see this as being a precedent for other challenges to approvals? Well, it certainly will be a uh, a precedent for that, uh, depending on sort of, kind of what the Supreme Court. Uh, Ends up uh, doing, uh, you know, it's hard to imagine another scenario in which they're kind of, uh, you know, someone uh, um, uh, brings this kind of case. But uh, you know, as we've seen with the um, the uh, COVID vaccines and now for kind of vaccines in general, there has been a general, uh, you know, erosion of trust in uh, um, you know FDA's seal of approval as to uh, um, uh, what that means for a drug's uh, safety and uh, um, efficacy. So uh, you know, if uh, um, you know there was a a uh, situation in which a uh, uh, group uh, group of people wanted to, uh, you know, challenge the approval of the vaccine if they couldn't sort of kind of uh, uh, tackle the mandate uh, uh, directly. That seems like a more easier uh, legal uh, case, in my opinion. But uh, you could see them sort of using these similar principles to sort of go after the uh, the approval the approval of a uh, a vaccine or any other product that didn't like uh, um, access to. Uh, um, I don't know what the might that be off the top of my head, but sort of kind of. Uh, um, you know something else with this sort of kind of a more uh, a hot button political valence. You, I, you know, I would uh, be shocked to see sort of kind of two uh, um, two competing companies and say the same uh, you know uh, class uh, of uh, products are clashing in court about this kind of stuff. But uh, you know, once that door's open, uh, you know anybody can uh, um, can walk in and make the case just like they uh, they walked in and made this case uh, case here. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, Matt, that you sort of hypothesized maybe that if, you know, the Supreme Court sort of continues in the direction that the Fifth Court seemed, Fifth Circuit went on this week, that maybe it's sort of a semi-middle ground, reasonable place for industry to be in, right? Because 
obviously industry needs sort of a very sort of credible, publicly trusted FDA, and they don't want decisions to be easily, you know, challenged or overturned by the court because that just leads to unpredictability for them, which is not good. But at the same time, right, like they might want a little bit more flexibility (laughs) to challenge FDA since they don't always, you know, they don't always see eye to eye. But it's it's definitely sort of more of a um, gamble, I think, potentially for them (laughs) than um, dealing with FDA because, you know, it's sort of like the... um, the enemy you know or or something perhaps is i mean that may not be quite the right phrase but um you know um as we've certainly seen with um courts in the US in the in the past few years it can be very hard to you know even if you're a legal scholar who thinks you sort of know um ex- there's sort of one way this um interpretation of a law is supposed to go things can often go different ways so um even with your sort of this more middle ground interpretation of FDA authority or loss of authority, if they went that way, it still could be problematic for industry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sarah, the, uh, the, 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 to the extent that's for kind of people see any FDA decision as uh, uh, politically uh, uh, influenced, it's, uh, it's not good. Uh, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, farmer's business model works best when, uh, you know, folks see FDA approved and think uh, these are, uh, just very reliable, uh, trustworthy scientists who have my best interests at uh, at heart, uh, helping me get the best medicine. But if they, uh, um, you know, come see it as a political football, it could uh, um, could be a very different uh, um, uh, kind of relationship to uh, to FDA approved products. Yeah, this would be a, an interesting thing to 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 watch. Uh, you know, we're waiting for the you know kind of the next the next uh, step here in the in the legal process. But uh, this will be this will be. Uh, the case that I'm sure a lot of people will be uh, paying attention to as we go forward. Finally, we're going to revisit what has become a rare event at the FDA, an Office of Prescription Drug Promotion Warning Letter. AstraZeneca received a letter which was issued in response to misleading claims in a sales aid for its COPD treatment, Brestree. The agency said statements in the document were not supported by clinical trial results and called them misleading, even though footnotes and other statements urged caution in in interpreting the data that was highlighted. The company also highlighted a clinical clinical trial p-value in the aid, which was 0.02, but the FDA said that also was misleading because while the p-value was below the standard for statistical significance, which is 0.05, the actual result was not significant because it missed the significance threshold in the testing strategy. AstraZeneca now must stop using the problematic sales aid as well as issue corrective communications. So I've got a couple of questions for you both on this one. First, are you excited that we finally got an OPDP warning letter for the first time in over a year? And second, what can you read into anything or what can we read into OPDP's approach from this letter? Well, I guess there are, there are two ways of looking at it that, uh, you know, it's just sort of the uh, the rareness of the letters, uh, you know, suggests that uh, um, OPDP is for kind of uh, shying away from uh, from enforcement. Uh, um, or you could see the rareness of the letters as for kind of reflecting, uh, you know, uh, the fact that uh, uh, the company seemed to be doing uh, uh, things uh, more uh, um more, more, uh, um, within F- more to FDA's liking sort of than they have in uh, um, in years past. And there's actually sort of kind of a uh, um, a third uh, a third way of looking at it, which uh, um, uh, Dara uh, Castro Levy from uh, Hyman Phelps and McNamara um, uh, talked about in a uh, 
in a uh, in a letter that the uh, post I guess she uh, um she put out saying that's for kind of this uh you know it's for some in some ways for kind of a uh, a stronger statement than uh, than usual. I don't know if it's a uh, um, a harbinger of a of a trend, but sort of. But uh, um, uh, she was uh, um, arguing that uh, um, uh, not the kind of thing that that uh, you would normally see through getting a warning letter, uh, perhaps uh, because it's one of the few letters that the um, the agency is uh, um, putting out these days. They sort of kind of went with the uh, the warning tag, but uh, um, her argument is that these kinds of uh, um, uh, you know. Uh, Promotional statements that uh, um, Asadenko were uh, were making for kind of in, in some ways for kind of uh, um, you know for kind of uh, conformed to uh, um, uh, more recent FDA guidance. Uh, um, obviously, there's always a uh, um, a uh, um, uh, you know area for interpretation, but uh, um, so it could uh, it could just sort of mean that uh, um, the agency is sort of uh, uh, coasting uh, sort of uh, coasting along, not doing doing much enforcement. It could mean that. Uh, Industry is being very compliant, or it uh, uh, could be the harbinger of a uh, of a stricter uh, um, eye towards uh, promotions that um, FDA is now undertaking. But uh, um, uh, the uh, um, I think she uh, uh, used uh, sort of kind of a, an incredulous question mark a number of times in this uh, um, uh, in in her uh, in her uh, uh, post here. So uh, um, uh, I I don't know uh, what the right answer to that question is, but I thought it was a very interesting. Uh, idea that she was uh, she was raising yeah i wondered about the the idea that this was a you know more detailed letter than we've seen in the past but i mean i mean it doesn't change the fact that it's a misleading claim at least the fda says it is so i mean are, are they just reading uh, you know do they do they have to just read the sentences and say oh that's clearly misleading stop it i mean they this time they may have had to do a little bit of work, look at the, you know, the clinical trial readouts or look at the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the public record from the Brestry, uh, you know, review package or something like that, um, you know, to, to find the answer to some of that, you know, I guess the, maybe the bigger question is, you know, who's got time over there to do that kind of legwork and, you know, or why were they kind of uh, motivated to do it is given that there's, you know, lots of, you know, applications and, and for um, advertising advice, you know, sitting at the agency. It's a, you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting take, but I, I, I wonder if it's still, I don't know if necessarily them getting, you know, into, you know, into some of the nitty, the nitty gritty with the data in this case is necessarily unusual for them. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a, um, uh, you know, perhaps a reflection of uh, that is not just uh, um, the way the data was presented, but uh, or the, not, not just the data that they uh, that AstraZeneca presented, but it was uh, was some splashy graphics. I mean, that uh, that dragon could have rubbed uh, someone at the OPDP the wrong way, and uh, you know they uh, opted to breathe fire on the uh, um, the sales aid uh, because of it. So uh, um, we'll uh, um, we'll have to see if this is a trend or or a one off or uh, um, or what. I feel like to me, like, I, I, I mean, I don't, I, this obviously probably, I would think the people who review this are, are greater experts in you know, this sort of area of kind of law and regulation than I am, but you would think like just the need to put sort of footnotes and things like that um, to sort of caveat some of the statements might have kind of drawn, you know, sort of internal concern as they were putting that out, because I feel like FDA does tend to, like when they're reviewing materials, you know, there's lots of like, 
rules around like size of, you know, like if you have a size of how things are presented to make sure, right, you're not just like flashing something, but then it's misleading because you have to read the fine print. So the fact that they sort of knew they had to caveat it, but didn't do it, you know, and, you know, quite the same presentation, I feel like probably might have been like an internal red flag to me. But, you know, again, I'm looking at this from a much more semi-lay person's perspective. That's a good uh, point, Sarah, that anytime you sort of kind of feel the need to uh, um, kind of uh, uh, clarify like that, you're, uh, you know, you're kind of uh, walking up to the line, if not, uh, if not over it. Right. And, and so yeah. then the fact that they've made it in a smaller, you know, kind of presentation. Now that I'm thinking about it, maybe say having to say something, I think it was, I think the line was, you know, interpret that with with caution or something, you know, <laughs> that I wonder if that was kind of the, you know, the, hey, maybe we should double check to make sure that this, you know, what they're saying is correct. You know, it's like that kind of thing when, when this comes across somebody's desk. Yeah. And I, I mean, even like like Matt said, the dragon, you know, FDA does sort of pay attention a lot to like what sort of feeling, I guess, somebody is going to get right from those visual representations. And I know I've looked at things before where they're very clear, you know, if you're, you know, advertising a drug for a population of people that cannot easily climb a mountain, right? You you probably even, and even with their, you know, the, the addition of their this drug, they're probably not going to be climbing a mountain. Like you shouldn't be showing them climbing a mountain. Um, so, you know, you just have to be thoughtful about kind of what the general side, you know, societal interpretation of various visual clues like a dragon presents in conjunction with, you know, the level of data you have. And Matt, congratulations for figuring out a way to work that in. <laughs> if you if you see the story, there is a really good graphic, you a uh, really good image in in the story of that Matt designed of looking using the dragon in the sales aid in, as like you know as part of the the warning letter and and breathing fire and all kinds of fun stuff. So yes, kudos to Matt for making sure we mentioned that. Well, that's all for this week. For more, check out our website at www.thepinksheet.com. You can also find this and previous podcast episodes on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Spotify by searching for Pharma Intelligence. And if you're so inclined, feel free to give us a review. Thanks again for listening to Drug Fix. I'm Derek Ingery with Sarah Carlin-Smith and Matt Hobbs. Take care, and we'll see you next time. 